we've had relatively stable climate. No ice ages, no hot spells, and we've had these ice caps that have remained, primarily in, in Antarctica and Greenland. Oh my gosh, if you melt those ice sheets in Greenland and Antarctica, the water levels will rise and come to the level of the Statue of Liberty's elbow. The broader problem is, if you have politicians arguing about what is established objective truths, then you're wasting time. You know, when I go back to Africa, where I grew up, uh, I don't recognize the place. Right? You know, the small town I grew up in was fairly green. People could do farming. People could do. Uh, people were self-sufficient for the most part. Uh, now there's nothing. It's a complete desert, and this is a direct consequence of climate change. And so it's uh, it's always the case. It's the, the the most vulnerable people are the ones who suffer the most. And I think we have an obligation to act and act collectively. Welcome to our podcast about biotechnology breakthroughs, the DNA of all living things, and the DNA of scientists, companies, and patients who make miracles happen. I'm Dr. Michelle McMurray-Heath, and you are listening to I Am Bio. think of biotechnology, most think of breakthrough medicines. Gene therapy, cell therapy, immunotherapy, CRISPR, synthetic biology, nanoparticle vaccines, a new era of genomic cures. But here on the I Am Bio podcast, our focus isn't only on human health. We're just as concerned about the planet's health, too. Biotech companies are supplying answers that allow our growers to produce more food on less land with fewer environmentally intensive resources. Biotech is using gene editing to develop plants that capture more carbon from the atmosphere, all while creating a new potential revenue source for farmers. Biotech is creating bio-based alternatives to environmentally harmful materials like plastics, and this industry is making sustainable fuels to decarbonize our nation's largest emitter of greenhouse gases, the transportation sector. On today's episode, we're going to focus on sustainability, but not in the typical way. We won't be talking about agriculture or industrial biotech. Instead, we're going to explore a new biotechnology angle on the climate change threat. What can biopharma companies do to protect the planet? Biogen, a pioneer in neuroscience, is at the vanguard of a new movement. Call it the greening of medicine. They see it as part of their responsibility as a company committed to health. This pandemic has revealed the profound connection between all living things. It has shown us how a food desert in Wuhan led hungry people to eat exotic species in a wet market, which unleashed a plague on the world. So today, we're going to talk about how companies committed to safeguarding human health can also protect our planet's health. And we're going to talk about how the racial unrest of 2020, overlaid with a pandemic that has impacted minority communities the hardest, can be a galvanizing moment for long overdue change. I'm so pleased to be joined today by Shifri Gwendo, 
He's executive vice president and head of global product strategy and commercialization at Biogen. And today he's here to talk with me about how the biotech industry can help create a more equitable and sustainable future. Shifri, welcome to I Am Bio. Thank you, Michelle. You've studied in Paris. You've lived all over the world. You worked your way up to president of Merck Canada after starting at the company as a software engineer. And now you have a very senior job in the C-suite of Biogen. It's an inspiring career trajectory, but also uncommon for persons of color in the biotech sector. Bio released a survey in January that found that just 1% of biotech executives are Black and only 15% are persons of color. Yet here you are, and you and I are having this conversation, so anything is possible. Can you talk a little bit about working your way up through the ranks? And do you have any advice for budding scientists of color who might be listening to us right now? I like to think of my story as not so special in some ways because, you know, it is the typical African story. I grew up in a uh, small town in West Africa in a country called Mali. We didn't have very much, materially speaking, but we had so much in terms of culture. I had a really a happy childhood, you know, loving parents. My mom never spent one day in school because she didn't have access to school uh, back in the days. And uh, But she was such a strong, uh, smart woman. She became a business owner at a very young age. She married young. She had nine children. My father was a business owner, but he was always gone, right, on business. Uh, we didn't have much in terms of access to schools and books and all of that. But, uh, but I was a very determined and motivated kid. Uh, I got fortunate because an uncle of mine, a distant uncle of mine, was a doctor uh, who had studied in France. And so he, he, he took interest in me. When he came to visit, he saw that I was good in school and so forth. And then he said, you know what, you ought to consider uh, pursuing this uh, trajectory uh, for your further education. I didn't have the information. So it's one of the lessons, right? So a lot of times you have kids who are so smart and so determined, but they don't have access to information. They don't know what is possible. So I was lucky because my uncle said to me, look, this is something you might want to look into. Uh, you might even get a scholarship if you, do, if you continue to do well. Uh, so, and that was the case. So I ended up getting a scholarship to go to France, studied engineering. Uh, and that was just by default uh, in the French system. Unlike in the U.S., uh, in, in, in many cases, you really don't have to worry about, you know, financing and so forth. If you do well in school, it's all public, uh, by the way. The best schools are public uh, in that system. And so I, I benefited from that. Got a job straight out of uh, engineering school. Uh, ultimately came to the U.S. to do an MBA. I uh, flirted a little bit with the financial services industry. but uh, And then I discovered my passion when I... Uh, I found out that there was this, this industry called biopharma. And uh, I've been in this industry now for 30 years. I have found that in this industry, you could do well and do good at the same time. And that's, uh, you know, that's my calling. So let's turn a little bit now to deal with the pandemic that we've all been struggling with. We're nearly 10 months into this crisis that's really revealed the connection between environmental justice and mortality. We've watched people in underserved communities do worse with COVID because of their pre-existing respiratory conditions caused by living near polluted factories, Superfund sites, or airports. The connection between human and environmental health has never been clearer or more dramatic. 
So given that Biogen is a global leader in neuroscience, can you tell us more about the scientific links between our health and the planets? Yeah, the the disparities have been very, very clearly documented at this point. If you're black in the United States, you're three and a half times as likely to die of COVID uh, following an an infection uh, as compared to your, uh, you know, the Caucasian counterpart. And if you're uh, Latinx, two and a half times more risk of dying of uh, following a COVID infection. Blacks and uh, Latinx communities tend to be uh, overrepresented, disproportionately represented in the frontline uh, worker categories. So that's, uh, you know, they're the ones, for the most part, who are serving the rest of us and, uh, and exposing themselves and their families to, uh, to infection. The link to the environment is something that is relatively new. There was a study done by The Lancet uh, showing, for example, that there are 12 risk factors that determine incidence of uh, Alzheimer's in a community. Things such as level of education, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, uh, mental health issues, certain mental health issues, but also importantly, air pollution. Uh, this has now been uh, documented as one of the key risk factors that predict the incidence of uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, so the the relationship is one that really talks to us because we are a neuroscience company, and so we've partnered with uh, MIT and and Harvard. Uh, we put a, we put in place a, a quarter of a billion dollar fund for the next ten years to, on the one hand, study. Uh, the scientific relationship to better understand it, to better come up with strategies that will help uh, us address this disparity. Back in 2014, Biogen became a trailblazer as one of the first drug companies to go carbon neutral. And last month, you made more history by announcing a plan to become the first Fortune 500 company to go totally fossil fuel free by 2040. And your stated goal is to accelerate action on the, quote, greatest interconnected challenges of our time, climate, health, and equity. I love that, by the way. What are the key elements of your plan and how will you accomplish this ambitious goal? We are increasingly in the business of promoting health, not just curing disease. And we believe that this interconnectivity that you talked about really is core to what we do. Interconnectivity between environment, health, and equity has become really a key passion. And so this Healthy Climate, Healthy Lives initiative uh, is intended to be a signature initiative. I certainly believe that uh, climate change is the number one existential threat uh, to to, to mankind uh, in the coming decades. The goals that we have laid out uh, really are intended to achieve the fossil fuel uh, free status by 2040, so 20 years from now. We were, you know, we're very proud to have achieved carbon neutrality back in 2014. Uh, I'm told we were, uh, in fact, the first in our industry to achieve that. But it's not enough. We need to do more, and we realize that. And so this is why we have set this ambitious goal. We want to make sure that we migrate all of our fleet in the next five years, in the next 10 years, all of our campuses where we do business, and then in 20 years, our supply chain, and and then go fossil fuel free at that point. So you'll see that our our employees are also very engaged uh, in this. We're providing benefits, employee benefits in that regard. Uh, so that we can really contribute to having a cleaner uh, environment for all of us. 
you know, we like to think of ourselves as pioneers. We were one of the first in the biotech industry in general. You know, we're very proud of that legacy. You know, Biogen has such a long history. It's often a company I cite when I'm talking about the power of our industry to influence equity. Um, why didn't you tell us a little bit about some of what Biogen's done in this space and the success that you've had? We've started to have more intense conversations within Biogen with our own employees uh, after the unfortunate murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and so many others. And our employees have really encouraged us to, to do more than what uh, we have been doing up until this point. So we strengthened our diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, strategy. We're focused on four pillars, uh, Michelle. One is really reinforcing capability and capacity uh, within our company, making sure that all leaders, for example, attend diversity training, racial sensitivity training, so mandatory. The second pillar is to be intentional about what we do from a hiring perspective, from a development perspective. So that's really where it starts. And the third is health equity, uh, which we can get a bit more into uh, if you're interested. And then fourth is economic empowerment. We recognize that helping to promote economic development in the community, particularly focusing on blacks, African-Americans and Latinx and Native Americans is critical if you really ultimately want to achieve equity in healthcare. So tell us a little bit more about health equity and, and what that means within the Biogen strategy. Yeah, so health equity for us starts with clinical trials. Uh, obviously, there's a long legacy of mistrust uh, here in the United States uh, for, for very valid reasons. And, you know, if you look at what Biogen has been doing, we've been uh, uh, challenging ourselves. First of all, listening, right? Listening to community, listening to experts, uh, trying to figure out where the barriers are. So trust is core to all of that. But beyond trust, what we're hearing from the community is we have to be intentional. We have to have talent who come from those communities themselves. And so we, we have been partnering with you know, academic institutions, MGH right here in our back, uh, uh, in our neighborhood. Uh, we've been uh, partnering with HBCUs in, on many, in many fronts. So promoting medical students, people who study life sciences to consider joining neuroscience, becoming neurologists, becoming neuroscientists. And so that's one way we're going to achieve health equity and diversity in clinical trials. The other way is to give incentives and goals uh, for, to our own teams. What we're finding out is, unless you're very intentional about your goals, folks tend to go with what they have already done. And it's always about timelines. It is about uh, delivering your studies in a timely fashion so you can get them through the regulatory agencies uh, as rapidly as possible. And so unless you address that tension that exists between speed of execution, timeline, and costs on the one hand, right, and your goal of achieving true diversity in your trials, you're not going to achieve progress. And so we are attacking this problem. We have set some very aggressive goals, both in terms of hiring people uh, who relate to the communities that we want to serve and uh, setting out metrics and goals that are going to deliver. Uh, so stay tuned on that. Uh, at the same time, Michelle, this is really, really hard. And I'm, I'm hoping that the initiatives that you've started at BIO are going to help us because we need to work at a macro level. And so we're going to need to do this together. Most certainly, most certainly. But so important that we're getting started. And I think the 
the emphasis you're placing on goals is so key because what you measure will improve, right? And everything else is invisible. So kudos to Biogen. You know, we've repeatedly said that what's in store if we don't meaningfully address climate change will be far worse than even what we see with COVID-19, as tragic as COVID-19 has been. Do, do you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you said earlier that experts had predicted that the worst is yet to happen. And the sad reality is that COVID was predictable. You know, we're hoping that now policy leaders, the community at large, will truly learn and begin to, uh, to follow science once again. Uh, if you look at what's happening in the country and around the world, uh, you know, not just the COVID infection, but also the environmental destruction. You know, when I go back to Africa, where I grew up, uh, I don't recognize the place. I, you know, the small town I grew up in was fairly green. People could do farming. People were self-sufficient for the most part. Uh, now there's nothing. It's complete desert. And so, uh, and this is a direct consequence of climate change. And so, it's uh, it's always the case. It's the, the the most vulnerable people are the ones who suffer the most. And I think we have an obligation to act and act collectively to address this problem. A big part of this conversation we've been having this year is how we make solutions for COVID, for example, and for the climate reach not only our backyards, but also the global space and, you know, patients around the globe. From that perspective, what do you think is going to be key there to make sure that the solutions we come up with touch every corner of the globe? You know, I consider myself an internationalist, uh, you know, having uh, being born in West Africa and grew up in Europe and lived in all these different places. So I, I, uh, I care deeply about these issues and these questions that you're framing, uh, Michelle. I mean, look at what's happening to the Amazon uh, in, uh, in Brazil, right? The destruction that's happening there, the destruction that's happening in Central Africa, the deforestation in those areas. Uh, I, think, I think global leadership is critical to this. I think companies have a role to play. This is why Biogen is doing what we're doing. Other companies need to do the same. The UN has, uh, you know, I, I applaud the work of the UN in this respect, encouraging the, you know, the global compact to, uh, to fight climate change. But I'm hoping uh, the United States, you know, regains its leadership in this field. Paris Agreement was a good start. So let's hope that that will resume somehow, uh, that will be reinforced in some way. Uh, so that together we can really, really make meaningful change. It, it takes it takes all of us. You can't have the United States or China or other large countries uh, not lead in this uh, in this respect because the status quo only leads to the most vulnerable countries and communities uh, paying the deepest price, the highest price, unfortunately. You know, so Shifri, you've had the advantage of living in several different cultures. And I'm just wondering if you could have ever, ever foreseen a day where science would be so in question, where we'd have this moment in the United States where people look with such doubt at our scientists and our science. Is this something you could have predicted? You know, as a young, as a young boy growing up in, uh, in, my, small, in my village in, in West Africa, you know, I used to, we used to look at the U.S. with envy and with uh, fascination, right, because of the scientific achievements. And, uh, you know, I, I can just reflect back on all so many milestones, you know, from aerospace uh, uh, accomplishments to uh, the computer to, you know, the cell phone. And, and the list is so long. And, and if you think about it fundamentally, you know, 
all the progress that we enjoy, the quality of life that we enjoy today, whether you are in a rich country or even in a poor country, it's all due to science, scientific innovation and science. And so today, if you're in Nairobi, Kenya, right, and you have family in a village, in a remote village where there's no road, right, you can still communicate with that family member who is in a, Nairobi, in a remote village in Kenya because they all have a cell phone. That's the miracle of science. It's absolutely unbelievable. It brought information. It brought education. It's bringing healthcare to people because you could do remote diagnosis, even in the poorest rural areas. I use Africa as an example because it is, you know, the, the, the least fortunate continent. But the same is true in South America and Asia, uh, and indeed here in the United States as well. So, it's really. It's shocking that people question science. I mean, uh, this is something I cannot, I, I never would have imagined. But I'm hoping that now uh, with COVID, you know, people will uh, reflect and uh, learn the lessons yeah, and, and, and appreciate science once again. Yeah, you know, I think it's time that people, you know, refocus. And I'm, I'm hoping the new generation really uh, uh, will do better than this, frankly. We often think of science as a, as a privilege, um, a nice to have, but really vulnerable populations need science more than perhaps anyone else. I grew up in Oakland, California, the daughter of two public health leaders, and I saw how vulnerable communities were made even more vulnerable by their lack of access to scientific breakthroughs. Can you tell us what Biogen has been doing with community health clinics to address both health equity and climate resilience? Yeah, so this is a big pillar of our Healthy Climate, Healthy Lives initiative. Uh, we have been training young students, for the most part, African-American, Latinx and immigrant kids, uh, into uh, you know, giving them exposure to science, mentoring them uh, with our own scientists. Uh, today, we have uh, reached over 50,000 students, high school students, middle school students who have uh, spent time on our campuses uh, to learn about science to learn about the environment, to learn about how drugs are made and so forth. What role do you imagine the overall biotech sector can play as leaders in science, technology, and medicine in advancing human health and environmental health since they are so linked? Yeah, I think this is really the genius of the United States in particular, Michelle. I mean, this is the country that has developed breakthroughs in many areas, right? Medicine, technology, you name it. I think we have a unique opportunity and this COVID crisis, this economic crisis, this racial injustice crisis that we're going through really gives us, give us the, uh, you know, that opportunity to bring the best of what uh, this country has to offer. As we reinvest to get the economy going again, as we continue to invest to discover you know, new drugs against uh, Alzheimer's, which is a core area for us at Biogen, Parkinson's disease or Lou Gehrig's disease, in all these diseases where there's a huge unmet need, you know, we have the opportunity to, uh, to do it in ways that are, uh, you know, promote fossil fuel free goals and, uh, you know, that create the green movement that you talked about. This is a silver lining as I see it. So with the assistance of iPhones and body cams, 2020 has seen a national reckoning on racial justice. I think it gives us a unique opportunity to make progress in eliminating racial disparities in healthcare and drug development. Tony Coles, a biotech pioneer, has said we can't divorce 
the twin engines of social justice and economic opportunity. And I completely agree. We all have a role to play to take the blinders off and create more equal opportunities in our hiring, promotion, and supply chains. Now, you touched upon this a bit, but tell us more about how Biogen has responded to this ongoing racial injustice in these areas, and and what are you doing to make positive change when it comes to equity? Yeah, thank you for the question. I mean, for me, this was personal, right, Michelle? I mean, uh, as a black man myself, uh, I have uh, two children, a 21-year-old, beautiful, smart, young lady, and a 19-year-old, as smart, equally smart, not as mature uh, boy. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I worry about the boy, especially my son. He's, uh, he's in college now. And when, uh, when George Floyd was murdered, as it happened, he was taking his exam to, for his driver's license. You know, you can imagine the conversations that we were having. I said, you know, just be careful uh, with, uh, with, uh, with the police because they had been sheltered. I mean, uh, we have uh, been fortunate in that we worked and lived in all these different countries. And my children were never confronted with, uh, with these realities. And so this was a big, big wake-up moment for, uh, for both my children, especially my son. Uh, so we were you know, hit, you know, disappointed, angry, uh, obviously, as, uh, as uh, most of us were here in the, in the country and around the world. But out of that came opportunity. I'm co-chair of the Diversity and uh, Equity and Inclusion Committee at Biogen with my, uh, my counterpart, Ginger Gregory, head of uh, HR. So the two of us really sponsored these conversations. And our whole executive committee, our CEO, Michel Vonatsos, very, very supportive. Everybody shocked, obviously. And so we, uh, we started to engage uh, at a deeper level uh, with, uh, with the Biogen community. And out of that came the reinforced strategy that I talked about earlier with the four pillars. This is a societal problem, but we can do our part, right? And so we have committed to reinforcing our training and development programs. We have we have committed to being more intentional, hiring. Uh, we're very proud of having uh, hosted uh, our first cohort of uh, interns this year, a fairly large cohort of interns from HBCUs, from Morehouse in particular. We have been sponsoring also uh, fellowships with MGH. And, uh, and again, these are very bright young uh, students who have the opportunity to pursue science. We're giving them encouragement to do that and mentoring to do that and funding as well. Uh, so, so we're committed. We're committed to this field. And what happened with the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and other sad situations and murders uh, is just is giving us more determination to stay the course, to continue to educate our own employees and do the right thing. <laughs> so you know, you mentioned your children and having an eight-year-old who's quite a critic in my house. I can only imagine how young adults in your house are probably your toughest critics. What do your kids have to say about Biogen's efforts on racial equality and on climate change? Yeah, so uh, no, excellent. I love this question because these are conversations we have uh, every day now, every week. Uh, and the kids were with us for, for months. They couldn't stay on campus, as you know. And so, uh, so every night was an uh, animated uh, debate uh, at the, the dinner table. Uh, and, uh, and they were they're very tough, to your point. Children, they keep us honest. But they're very proud of Biogen for what we are doing. You know, the conversations, the difficult conversations that we have promoted within the company, our level of engagement, 
in the community and importantly what we're doing now with healthy climate, healthy lives, which uh, my daughter who's at Yale, uh, she's kind of a liberal and uh, she, uh, she was so proud. She posted it. She, you know, her whole network is now talking about biogen and climate. <laughs> you know, we're going to save the environment. They said to her, not so fast. We're doing our part. We need to do a lot more and uh, we need to partner with uh, others. No, no, I, they're very proud. You know you're successful when your kids are retweeting you. Is that right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, you've been at Merck and Biogen, two of what some may consider the most woke companies in our industry, but also two of, of the very, very successful ones. Can you talk a little bit about what these two corporate cultures have been like for you? Uh, they are science-driven, they're purpose-driven, and they're led by uh, you know, leaders who care deeply about uh, making positive impact and also uh, care deeply about you know, creating diverse environments and equitable environments and so on. So I feel, ve- I feel very much at home at Biogen. Um, been here almost three years now. I was at Merck for 27 years. It's not complicated. It really isn't complicated. Uh, you know, Ken Frazier nails it all the time. It's just doing the right thing, doing the right thing for patients, and the profits follow. And Michel Vunatsos, CEO of, uh, of uh, Biogen, says the same thing. You have to do the right thing for patients. And if you want to serve patients, you need to make sure that you have teams that reflect the full spectrum of the patient population that we serve. It's that simple. And we try to stick to that principle. Well, those are hopeful words to end on. And I hope that your optimism and idealism reaches more corners um, of our companies and our country because it's so important. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. You and the team, you're doing a great job. That's all for today. Don't forget to subscribe on your podcast player of choice, or even better, if you've learned something useful today, please share a link to the I Am Bio pod with your family and friends. To learn more about the work of the heroes and sheroes in lab coats, please visit the iambio.org website and visit bio.org slash vote to make sure your vote is counted. On our next episode, we'll explore an exciting new frontier in Alzheimer's research, as Bio convenes its patient advocacy forum digitally. Could there finally be an elusive breakthrough against the long goodbye? We'll get into it next Monday on I Am Bio. Bio.